you'll turn with me me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. This Palm Sunday, we're going to leave Genesis for uh, the Holy Week. We'll come back the week after Easter. But we're going to try to join the crowd, uh, join the crowd that was there on Jesus' triumphal entry. Uh, we, my hope and prayer is that you will place yourself there. If you ever see a crowd that's gathered in a place and you want to come join that crowd, usually the first question you ask when a crowd is joined, gathered together, is like, what's going on? What's happening? Well, you know, what's, who is this? I mean, who's drawing the crowd? And it's interesting because in the middle of the crowd... In the middle of those who were there worshiping Jesus, the question that emerges that we're going to focus on today is this. Who is this? That's what I want to know about Jesus. I mean, who is this Jesus? And that's the ultimate question, I promise you. The way you answer the question of who is Jesus will alter your life, your destiny, both today and forever. I believe it's a question we're all going to answer. Who is this Jesus? And what has he really done? Let's look to see what God's word says, who this Jesus is in Matthew 21. Unmet, oftentimes unspoken, unmet expectations are some of the most powerful, have some of the most powerful impact on our lives than anything. Unmet, oftentimes unspoken expectations are very, very powerful. And they really can change about everything. About every time I talk to somebody in marriage uh, that's going through marriage counseling, about every time in dating or a a marriage relationship, I hear this all the time. But I thought that they would be like this. But I thought that they would do that. You see, I had these expectations of what a wife should be, of what a husband should be. And yet, that person failed to meet it. And because expectations were not met, My life is unraveling. Expectations. It's true of the job. I mean, you go into a job, you expect certain things. And when expectations of what that company will be like, what that experience will be like, is not your reality, you start to unravel. We see it with our young people, often with colleges. You know, they go away and think college is going to be like this or this institution will be like that. And, And when reality collides with their expectations, oftentimes there's a great implosion. Or explosion. We're going to see that as we begin Holy Week this morning on uh, Palm Sunday. We're going to look at this triumphal entry of Jesus. And there were a lot of expectations on Jesus. I mean, Jesus had just recently healed, raised from the dead, Lazarus. It was no longer a secret that there was a new prophet in town named Jesus. And the expectations with Jesus were, were monumental. They were huge. I mean, what they were saying about Jesus that first day of this triumphal entry where they were saying things like this, Hosanna to the son of David, glory to God in the highest. Now those words for us probably just sound churchy, but let me tell you what they meant to them. When they were saying Hosanna, they were basically crying out, save us. Jesus, save us. Hosanna, save us. And when they were calling him the son of David, they were equating to him all the promises of the Bible of a king who would come. In the line of David. Glory to God in the highest. I mean, there was such amazing emotion. I mean, such high expectations. They're saying that in this Jesus, there would be salvation. In this Jesus, there'll be a connecting of heaven and earth. In this Jesus, Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. Unmet expectations. (laughs) Unmet expectations. Listen, within just a few days, 
I mean, just a few days, the crowd who would be saying about Jesus, save us, O son of David, save us, one who comes from the most high, the crowds of Hosanna will be replaced by this. Crucify him. Crucify him. The power of unmet expectations. That it would go from Hosanna, save us, to crucify him. You know, the beautiful thing about God's plan is, is they were crying, crucify him. God's plan to save us was coming to fruition. Isn't that amazing? Even when our expectations fail, God's don't. Even when our expectations are shattered, God's are still intact. And the amazing thing about this story is the amazing thing about our lives is, is somehow we can stumble and bumble along through life, making a mess of it at times, but God is still on the throne. He is still good and he still has the power and authority to make all things good. Isn't that good news? So we have incredible uh, expectations that were missed. And that's not only today. We're going to see that on Thursday. We're also going to see it on Sunday, Easter Sunday. There were many who hoped that Jesus would be something other than what he is. Let me say that again. There were and there are and there will forever be those who wish that Jesus was something other than who he really is. And when the reality of Jesus collides with our expectations, something has to give. And I'll tell you this, it's not going to be Jesus. Because he is the unchanging one. And the most gracious thing he could remind us is that he is the same today, forever, um, and ever. Let's look to God's word, Matthew 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 17 on this triumphal entry. For those of you who want more, uh, this triumphal entry will be in all four gospel accounts. It'll be in Luke chapter 19. It'll be Mark 11. It'll also all be in the gospel of John. So if you want to look at any of those for more information, they are there. But this is God's holy word. Hear God's word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to, uh, to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus sent disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, you shall say, if anyone asks anything of you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, their, put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. He didn't sit on both of them. He sat on their cloaks. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirring up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple 
and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of God, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes? You have, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let us pray. Father God, it is so good to have your word and to be given it so many times in the gospel of what this triumphal entry really meant to those who first saw it and what it meant to us. And Father, I thank you for this, the honesty of the question that emerged from the crowd. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? And Father God, we are here to hear that answer. God, we don't need to hear my opinion of who Jesus is or was or will be. We need to hear from him of who he is. So God, would you come by your grace and the preaching of your word and would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? And Father, would you give us ears to hear Jesus' voice? Would you give us minds to understand Jesus' words? Would you give us hearts that would believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? And God, would you be with us so powerfully, so tangibly, that we would walk out of here empowered to live for Jesus' name and glory. And God, the things that I said that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that might even shatter our expectations of who Jesus was and changes that with who Jesus really is, would you use the truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to make us more like your son, our Savior, And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. When you read through scripture and you look at who Jesus is, there's going to be three titles or three offices that Jesus is going to fulfill as in his ministry to save us. And it's interesting. It's these three offices that the Old Testament would say there was one to come who will fill these. It's the office of a king. A king who's going to conquer all of God's and our enemies. A king who's strong enough, to, strong enough to subdue us to himself. It's the office of a priest. A priest who will come, who will make a sacrifice to God and who will intercede for God's people. And it's also the office of a prophet. A prophet is one who came and spoke for God. He often says, thus saith the Lord. And so when Jesus came, there was some confusion. Who is he? Is he the prophet that was to come? Is he the priest that was to come? Is he the king that was to come? Because most people didn't understand that he, the Messiah, was going to be the same person that fulfills all three offices. He's going to be a king. He's going to be a priest. He's going to be a prophet. As a matter of fact, in John 7, there's an argument that breaks out in the temple about who Jesus is. 
Some will say, oh, he's the prophet. Some will say, no, no, he's the king. And they were confused. But what we see is even in this one text, if we read it carefully, we will see all three offices that Jesus fulfills for us. That he really is a king. That he really is a prophet. It says he's a prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That he really is a priest who has the right to go into the temple and start throwing things around. And the way we see how he fulfills those three offices truly will impact our life forever. The first one is this. He's a king. I'm going to follow along the bulletin. There's in your, the outlines in your bulletin. He's going to shatter expectation of who he is because he's the king who rides on a donkey. Have you ever heard the expression, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight? You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. And when you're going to have a triumphal entry and you're going to be proclaimed king of the entire city, the entire nation of God's people, you don't bring a donkey. A donkey. You know, the, a conquering king, what does a conquering king ride into the city with? A war horse, right? Probably a white war horse. I mean, it's, it's the biggest, baddest horse that he could go and trample on everybody inside the city. But instead, we have a king who rides on a donkey. Typically, when an organization looks for a new executive, they start list, listing values. Uh, we did it with our headmaster search. We, we do it uh, uh, for any search. You do it in your companies too. You're looking for a specific org, uh, person to fill a specific spot in the org chart. And the higher up they are in the org chart, the more specific you are with qualifications. Is it not true? I mean, if you're going to look for the one who's over all of your organization, you want to be very, very specific. What are you looking for? Well, if you were to pool the people there at the triumphal entry, what are you looking for in a Messiah? What are you looking for in a king? All they could do is look out and see Rome. All they could do is look out and see, we need a, we need, we need somebody's going to kick some backside here. Uh, We we need, we need a warrior. I mean, we need a king who's, who's not, we need a king who could really conquer. And listen, conquer Rome. You know, the funny thing is, What's the greatest need they had? They had a king who needed to conquer them. They they needed a king that would subdue them. And what do we have with Jesus? You have a king who shows up gentle and lowly. (laughs) You think that would be top of the chart? Hey, we're looking for a Messiah. I wonder if Jesus is. Let's go back to Zechariah and say what kind of Messiah we're going to get. We're going to get one who's meek. We're going to get one who's lowly. We're going to get one who's gentle. I guarantee you, they were not looking for a gentle king. They were not looking for a meek and lowly king. And Jesus wants to show you, let me tell you who I'm going to be. I'm going to be riding in on this beast of burden, this donkey. You see, you bring a donkey to a triumphal entry when you want to communicate something very powerfully. And I'm going to tell you, he wants to communicate two things that we can't miss. He wants to communicate, first and foremost, his accessibility to us. That this truly is Emmanuel, God with us. Do you know about Jesus that scripture says he's the one who created all things? Do you know that in Jesus he is God in flesh? Do you know that scripture says that all of creation was created by him and for him? That he is the mighty God. you know that scripture says about Jesus that he holds everything together? If it's true, 
then he's mighty God. If it's true, and I believe it is, then he's eternal God. If it's true, then he truly is the almighty one. And here's the reality in your life and my life. The almighty one wants you to know that God put on flesh so that he could be accessible to you and to me. That he wasn't going to be on some horse and he wasn't going to be uh, on a high horse that would basically communicate that you don't have the right pedigree, you don't have the right religion, you don't have the right holiness, you don't have the right stuff to relate to this God. The amazing thing about Jesus being gentle and lowly, is you ready for this? He had to come from the heights to descend to the depths to find some of us. To find us, he had to get low. To find us, he had to get humble. To find us, he had to go to the absolute depths of humanity. How dark has it been in your life? How dark has it been in your, with your sin? I mean, Jesus comes on a donkey to say, I'm going to be accessible to the lowly of the low. To those who feel like they failed. To those who feel like religion has lost them. To those who feel like they're disqualified. To those who feel like they have no right. To those who feel like they're always on the outside. To those who feel like that a holy God whose creator God would have nothing to do with them. Jesus says, I'm here for you. I'm here to come get you. And by the way, I'm going to ride on a lowly donkey. Because I want you to know that you will never be too far from my accessibility. It's incredible. It's incredible what Jesus does. We see him as scripture, Zechariah would say, lowly and humble. Nobody on the search committee for a new king of Israel would ever put that as the top requirement. Except for our king. Because he knew he had to become to come get you and me. What else does he do? When you bring a donkey to a triumphal entry, it's one who wants to be able to say to us, he comes in the message of peace. I mean, Jesus doesn't come on a war horse because he comes in peace. I love what Luke says about this. Luke 19, 38. Blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here's the bottom line. Jesus came to bring, ready for this, the peace of heaven to earth. He came to reconcile heaven and earth through his own body, scripture says. Jesus says says in Ephesians 1 that all things that were out of place with God, Jesus came to make right, to reconcile through his life, death, and resurrection. And he comes on a donkey proclaiming good news that peace is finally arrived. That, that holy God is, is no longer going to be mad at sinful man. That he is going to take the righteous anger that he deserves against our sinfulness and put them on his son. So that he can lead with love and mercy to us at all times. He comes on a donkey to proclaim peace. Do you know that peace? I mean, do you know the peace that comes from God's son? That no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter, listen, no matter what you have done, through the righteous life, through the atoning death, through that empty tomb, that you and I truly can, right this nanosecond, have peace with holy God. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight unless you want to communicate something really different than what people's expectations were. You don't bring a donkey to a triumphal entry unless you want to communicate something completely different than what they suspected. And what Jesus wanted to communicate was, I'm accessible to you. And what Jesus wanted to communicate was, 
I will provide peace for you. I love what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about what a king, Jesus king, would do for us. It says that a king, is, as a role of a king, Jesus will subdue himself, subdue us to himself. And he will conquer all of his and our enemies, according to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Let me make this practical. Do you know how Jesus wants to subdue you to himself? Not by the might of his hand. By the depth of his heart. Jesus wants to subdue you to himself and to see that he is king of kings, not because he spoke and created all things, but that he became one of you and it was broken so that you could become one of him. He subdues us to himself by the depths of his love and the depths of his love of what he would do for us. And he conquers all of God's and our enemies on the cross. The greatest enemy is death and sin and he's conquered it. So that we can have life and life abundantly. A king who rides in the donkey. Secondly, the prophet who's from Nazareth of Galilee. How in the world did Jimmy Carter become president? Now, we're not here to say what kind of president he was or he wasn't. That's not the point this morning. But how in the world? Because what did Jimmy Carter do before he was president? I don't know for sure. But they want to tell me that he was a peanut farmer from Georgia. And you don't usually feel that peanut farmers from Georgia should occupy the Oval Office. When it says, who is this? And the response is, this is Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. There had to be a response that felt like, this is a peanut farmer from Georgia. Because even in the Gospel of John, John 1, uh, John 1, uh, when Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and says, hey, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. His name is Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And you know what Nathaniel said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, have you been there? That's like, that's like the sticks. That's like being a peanut farmer from Georgia. What in the world is that all about? How in the world can he be the one? You see, the people had known that there was a promise made. There was no promise in the, there's no prophet in the Old Testament like Moses. Moses, unlike any other prophet in the Old Testament, Moses had said he spoke to God face to face. I mean, Moses, he he gave us what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. I mean, Moses, it was awesome. But even in the books of Moses, it tells us in Deuteronomy 18, 18, that there will be a prophet who will be raised up like him. There'll be a prophet like Moses to come. And when they said, is this the prophet? They were thinking, is this the one who, who will be like the God, who, or like Moses, who spoke to God face to face? You know, the beautiful thing about Jesus is he's even better. He doesn't speak to God face to face. According to Hebrews 1, when he speaks to us, he speaks to us as God. Because it says in Hebrews 1, in past times, in different ways, God spoke to us through his prophets. But in the end times, in these last days, God speaks to us through his son. There's no greater prophet. There's no greater prophet than Jesus. And you know what the prophet's role is? It's very one, there's one clear thing that a prophet's supposed to do. A prophet is supposed to communicate to us the will of God for our salvation. The prophet's one and only job is to tell us how we can be saved. The prophet's job is to represent God to his people and said, this is how you can be made right with God. And here we have Jesus, the ultimate prophet. And what is the will of God for salvation? He's saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. 
You know how radical that is? When people thought that there was a prophet to come that would show them the way to salvation, you know what they were thinking? This will be great. He's going to make it really clear what I have to do and what I don't have to do. Kind of like the defining question that happened uh, uh, right before the Good Samaritan story when someone asked Jesus, hey, who is my neighbor? He's basically saying this, who do I have to love and who do I don't have to love? They were looking for a prophet that would say, okay, you really want to get right with God. You want to get, make sure you have eternal life. Here are the things you got to do. And here's prophet Jesus. It's not what you do. It's what I do. Here's the prophet Jesus. It's not about your religion. It's about what me. Here's this prophet Jesus. He's basically saying that, that it's, it's not about the things we do to try to get right with God. It's everything that Jesus has done to make us right with God. I mean, it's incredible. Jesus who comes and says, the life that you're supposed to live, I'm going to live it. The death that you deserve to die, I'm going to, I'm going to die. And what I'm going to give to you, instead of, instead of curses, I'm going to give blessings. I'm going to give a life instead of death. The prophet Jesus came. And, he, and if you're here wondering if, if God is trying to tell you the, the, the A, Bs, and Cs, and the seven steps to, to highly effective Christian living, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus comes and says, Amen. He has the audacity to say, I am. I am. Which for anybody who's been around the Bible knows he's calling himself Yahweh, Lord Almighty. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the vine. I am the resurrection and life. I am. And the only way you're right is through me. Man, a prophet. A prophet from Nazareth of Galilee who proves to be our salvation and our hope. Hosanna, Jesus. Hosanna, come and save us from ourselves and from our own works. And lastly, the priest who overturns the temple. How do you like it when someone walks in your house and acts like they own it? I don't care who they are. How do you like it when someone comes in your house and starts rearranging your furniture? I mean, seriously, you want to say, what? No. Excuse me, pardon me. Whoa, hey, you know, hey, I like the couch there. Had the lamp there for a reason. Get your hands off my stuff, right? I mean, what would you do if somebody comes barging in your house, rearranges your, finish, your furniture, starts opening up your refrigerator, rifling through, helping themselves? You'd be, like, you'd, be, you'd be saying, hey, excuse me, what do you own this place? Pardon me, but who are you? So what does Jesus do? <laughs> he enters Jerusalem, he enters the temple, and he starts acting like he owns the place. As a matter of fact, he uses his language saying, this, my father's house shouldn't be a house of robbers. It should be a house of prayer. And these, these tables are all wrong. He doesn't just move them. He throws them over. I mean, he not only acts like he owns a place. He acts like he has authority to change it all completely. I mean, we got to see this. Is, is this, this is... Whew. Any priest who walks in the temple who starts acting like this, you say, this guy's certifiable. There's a, probably a lot of people who say, we got to kill this guy. What was he doing? What was he doing? He was showing that he had the authority. That's, that's, that's one. But what was he doing throwing over those tables, those money changers and 
the guys who sold pigeons and the things for sacrifice. He was a priest who was saying this. All of these things were supposed to point to the sacrifice that works. That he would be the priest who would come that would not only, this is crazy, you gotta get this, you gotta get this. He would be the priest who would come that would not only offer up a sacrifice, but you ready for this? That he is the sacrifice. That, that, that he offers up himself as the sacrifice to holy God. And he would say that the blood of bulls and goats and pigeons, they don't take away sins, they only pointed to the one who would. He was basically saying, there's a whole new way. There's always been one way, it's through me. Through my shed blood, not these animals. It's interesting too, as the story goes, is that there were lame and blind people there. And you know what Jesus does for them? He heals them. Do you know what a priest was supposed to do in the temple toward the heal, the, the, those who had diseases or those who had illnesses, he was supposed to declare them clean. But none of them had the ability to heal anybody. And here you have in the temple the lame, the lame and the blind. The lame. The blame. The, the blame. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you have those people there, you know. The blind and the lame. And he heals them. And what does it say about the religious people? This is, this is, it says this, they saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and they were indignant. What in the world? Their expectation of what a priest should do, their expectation of what a prophet should do and their expectation of what a king should do was not being met. They had a problem with Jesus healing in the temple. They had a problem with his authority because they were losing theirs. They had a problem with Jesus because he was all about relationship with us as a king who comes on a donkey and a prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And he says, it's not going to be about religion. It's not going to be about what you do. It's going to be about what I do and have done for you. He revealed to us salvation. They asked, who is this Jesus? It's the most important question that you and I will ever answer. Let me ask you this. Who is this Jesus to you? Jesus has always been about shattering expectations of who we think he should be. You got to get this. We often long for a savior that would fit into our image. We often long for a savior who will meet our expectations. But Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the God in flesh. Jesus is the only savior of the world. And he won't fit into your expectations. He won't. And he won't bow to you. Ever. Ever. And he won't change to make your life a little easier or better. He can't. 
but he is lowly. And he is gentle. And he is accessible. And he is king. And he does bring peace. And he brings peace here to earth right now. And the question before us is, do we come to him and do we acknowledge him as king of kings and lord of lords and bow our lives before him and say, you are my expectation. You are the one who will determine who I am and how I live. And my expectation is in just you. Show me who you really are so I could truly live. And give me the grace to shatter the false images of Jesus that I still have. How is it with you? Is he your savior or are you your own? Is he God's son? Can we truly say, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Save us again from even our false expectations so that we could truly live for you. Let us pray. Father, I really, I I feel like if I were there in the crowd, I would be just like the crowd. On that triumphal entry, probably scratching my head, thinking, what's up with the donkey? And what's up with this Nazareth of Galilee? And what's up with throwing over the tables? But Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And God, in my flesh, I would have yelled crucified by Thursday. But I thank you for your amazing grace that you won't let me define who Jesus is. That my expectations will not win the day. That your son is alive and well. And he is more real than any of us. And we need to come to him And we need to lay any expectations down that we have of him. And and we need by your grace through faith to embrace him as our Lord, as our Savior, as, as our expectation. As our King. As our God. And as our Savior. And we thank you as we do. We find the peace of heaven. We find the joy of heaven. We find forgiveness of sins. And we find life and life abundant. Father, if there's anyone here who's running from you because you are not meeting their expectations, I thank you for being a father who runs to sinners and reveal to them by your grace that our expectations don't come close to your reality and draw us into the love of your son and what he's done for us, I pray in Christ's name, amen.